Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Georgia. With me is Greg Velasquez in Iowa. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. The U.S. faces Jamaica, Panama, and Costa Rica in the second window of World Cup qualifying, starting with Jamaica on Thursday in Austin. Joining me again, blessedly, is John Arnold, an expert on CONCACAF as a region, to help us understand these opponents and how they're playing right now. John, how are you doing? I'm good. It's always uh, exciting to be having games that mean something, that matter. September, I thought was pretty fun. I mean, I know the U.S. fans live it a little differently than I do from my sort of like I guess, neutral perspective. Although, you know, as we've talked about on the show before, like I'm an American who lived in Mexico. So I have a soft spot for like all the North American teams. But all that to say, I know it was kind of a hectic month and like a nervous month for, for U.S. hardcores, but yeah. I had fun and uh, I hope I hope everyone did too. And maybe October will be a little less stressful, although as we'll get into it, who knows? Take the U.S. out of it. What was your biggest surprise from the window? Like what was your big, what were some of your big takeaways from September? Yeah, I think one of the big overarching themes was we wondered how the three game match days would be would would affect players, but also would be approached by coaches. And I think you saw some of the smaller teams, specifically Panama and El Salvador, their managers, Christensen and Perez, were just like, yeah, it's fine. These guys can do it. They're great players. And that did not seem to be the case. You know, I think both of them kind of ran out of steam a little bit at the end. And now have called in bigger squads and, and more players. Uh, so I, I think that was one of the lessons that, that we can kind of take away. Big picture, it, you look at a team, like I think will lead us nicely into our discussions. I think Panama was the most impressive team. I felt like they were kind of the most overperforming team and Jamaica the most disappointing team, uh, especially when, as I'm sure we'll get into and, and hopefully kind of dovetailing nicely into our first segment, that 3 0 loss for Jamaica in Kingston to Panama with all of their best players, these guys who were saying, oh, well, since player X and player Y who play in the UK will not be able to travel for these other two games, it's a big opportunity for Jamaica. It actually seemed a bit like a liability. So I think those are the two biggest uh, kind of individual team takeaways, as I thought Panama really punched above their weight and Jamaica really disappointed. So obviously we'll be talking about both of those teams in more depth uh, and kind of be able to frame a bit our uh, uh, our conversations about the U.S. opponent. Yeah. So you're saying Panama punched above its weight, Jamaica punched below its weight. Is that is that what you said? I think so. I mean, it's also yeah. possible that, you know, like now that we have a bit of a sample size of three games, which is still pretty small, we could also say like maybe Jamaica are bad and maybe Panama is good. You know, it, mm-hmm. those things are possible. But I think, you know, this window and probably the next before we really start to say, ah, yeah, this team doesn't belong here. They shouldn't have gotten the bye in the case of Jamaica, or, oh yeah, this team not only did well in qualification in the first two rounds in the case of Panama, but maybe they're a real contender. Maybe they can get that third spot. You know, I do think, and look, I understand that the U.S. shouldn't feel like it has a spot sewn up, but I think, you know, to me still going into this, Mexico and the U.S. are the one-two. I think three is very open, and that playoff spot is really up for grabs. So it's possible that our kind of takeaways from September are are wrong, but it's also possible that that narrative kind of shores up and we say, oh, Jamaica didn't actually punch below their weight. They're just not very good. So um, those are distinct possibilities. But yeah, I think, (laughs) you know, gut reaction from September, those are kind of the two teams that stand out to me as as doing something different than we expected. Okay. 
Okay, well, let's let's go right into Jamaica um, because uh, they got one point in the window and were trounced at home by Panama, which I think sort of affects the narrative around them quite a bit. But they also drew Costa Rica in in San Jose and played Mexico to a draw in an empty Azteca through 89 minutes. Uh, what can you say any more? I know you said it's kind of hard to say whether they're just bad or punching below their weight, but what what should we make of them after all this? Yeah. Let's get into that a little more. Yeah, I, you know, my kind of you know, when you do this and you try and cover as many teams as I do, you sort of end up having a kind of broad stroke, like this is what I say about this team when I'm asked about them, right? <laughs> a little bit yeah. of how the sausage is made, right? And what I typically say about Jamaica is like they got a good core, they have good, you know, talented players. I think they're tactically limited. I think Tapa Whitmore is a nice guy and had a, a good career. I don't know that he's the man that I would want to be leading my team forward as I look to make the World Cup, uh, but that's kind of what Jamaica has done, right? I think one of the biggest gaps in the team is that they have, you know, like the, the attacking firepower they can call upon when the, when the Premier League players are there, which they sort of will be in Austin, sort of won't. You know, with Leon Bailey missing because of injury, right? Uh, but like the guys who they didn't have because of the red list situation uh, available, you guys like Michael Antonio, Kamar Roof, Bobby Reed. You know, they clearly have attacking firepower. We've seen them score in the Gold Cup, and then you look at the back, and they have a really strong. You know, starting with Andre Blake, one of the best goalkeepers in Concacaf, and then they, you know, no matter who they put back there, they have you know many many center backs that they can rely on. You've got Kamar Lawrence as the left back. A right back spot that sort of seems to be in constant rotation, but like generally is pretty competent. And then you have the midfield, and uh, I, there's just not much there. You know, they they have they've got there. There's a player named Rodolph Austin who was like a really uh, kind of hard man in the middle. You know, put in mm. big tackles and 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 recycled well, and and sort of was you know that that six that you need. I think if you're gonna have you know, as much flexibility and the kind of desire to counter like Jamaica can have uh, certain times, uh, but they don't have anybody to do that right now. And the guy who sort of fills that role, Daniel Johnson, is not going to come uh, for these games. He's, he's nursing a minor knock and he's not going to travel either. So I think that's where you have a big, big uh, deficiency. And in that Panama game, it really showed because Whitmore tried to do a central midfield of Johnson, who I just mentioned, and Ravel Morrison, who, you know, if you've if you recognize the name, you know he's not exactly a player who's known for putting in the dirty work, right? Um, hmm. You know, whether whether you saw him at Manchester United or Atlas or whatever, Derby now, it's not like he's a player who, who I think you, you expect to be kind of running for 90 minutes and making hard tackles, you know. So that was the midfield against Panama, and, and they got ripped up. And I don't think that should have been a surprise when you saw the central midfield. So... I guess to me, that's where Jamaica is, is that they have talent. And yes, they're recruiting more and more players. These efforts are, are well underway. I'm actually going to have a piece about that, hopefully, in, in, uh, in the November window as the U.S. travels uh, to make the return visit on how the recruitment happens, on who the people are behind it. So I hope people will look out for that. But, you know, just because you're bringing in players doesn't mean they're going to mesh together. Just because you bring in players doesn't mean they fill the roles that you need them to fill. And uh, and there's actually one other player, Anthony Grant, who can kind of fill that role, but he's not going to be uh, with Jamaica until the second game. So, you know, for U.S. fan purposes, I really think that midfield is a place where you can definitely find some success there. So, hmm. uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Jamaica, this is an enormous window for them. Uh, if they don't get results in this window, I think they have to fire Whitmore. Like, you have to move on because, you, you know, if you're still sitting at the bottom after, after six games, your chance might be gone. And, and they really do have optimism this time around. They really do feel like they could do it. But they haven't shown anything in the first three games that really makes anyone want to believe, I don't think. You know, you did mention, yeah, they hung with Mexico, uh, you know, got the result in Costa Rica with one point on the road. But the other two games, I think, were just kind of not, not to the standard. And so if they can't show something more against the U.S. and then Canada and Honduras this window, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a big change. Hmm. Well, I don't want you to give away, you know, all all the secret sauce, but can you give us a little preview of the like who's behind the recruiting of the Yeah, I mean it's, it's, it's federation officials, but there's also some sort of like, you know, I did a piece on Hugo Alvarado, uh the Equi- the uh, El Salvador uh scout uh, who's based in Los Angeles uh last year and then the New York Times, you know, kind of told his story again in uh in September for the US game, which was cool, you know, he's he's a really good guy and um while getting Concacaf is a prestigious and lovely publication, indeed it, it is. Doesn't quite yet have as many. Doesn't quite yet have as many readers as the New York Times. So it was cool to see him get the uh, the shine there. there. There's a similar story in Jamaica where there's a kind of community of people working with the federation to help them find these players who are eligible and, and bring them in. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that and look like similar to U.S. fans. Something I think can get lost at him is like similar to U.S. fans, Jamaica fans can be just as fervent about their team right and just as insane in a lot of ways you know i think a lot of us are veterans of the big soccer days we'd go in the americans abroad forum and it's like somebody would find a roster from the czech second division and hey this guy has a kind of american sounding name and they yo it looks like his grandpa is american whatever you know and like fans of other teams do that right so uh there is a community of of jamaicans that's doing that as well And, and as i mentioned i think it'll be It'll be interesting to kind of highlight those, but the Federation is, is keenly aware, and because of the migration patterns to typically England, but the, the entire UK and in other parts of Europe, you know, there, there's a lot of candidates for the Jamaica team. It's about, you know, convincing these players that they want to come over. And, you know, listen, I, I don't want to be like, I've never been accused of being Stephen A. Smith or whatever, but you look at some of these guys who are missing this window, you know, Daniel Johnson, I, I'm Ethan Pinnock. Uh, center back, you know, I'm not so, you know, he played for Brentford this past weekend and he, oh, and he misses no. this game. Now, I'm not trying to diagnose like his physicality. Maybe he felt something. Maybe he, you know, really feels like personally needs to. Like, that's fine. But then you look at like, and, and he just was announced today that he's out, but like Romel Kyoto, who like continues to get injured for Honduras and is every single time is like, I'm going to get fit and I'm going to play for my country. And if I'm playing at 70%, but the coach needs me and my country needs me, like, I'm there. I'm not sure. I say I'm not like Stephen A. Smith because I feel like it's very hot takey to be like, you got to be there for your country. Like you have to give your body on the line. But I'm just not sure that that culture exists yet in Jamaica where like some of these recruits uh, really feel that they have to be there for every game, that they live and die for it. And I don't think the Federation has given them reason for that. You know, the travel in Jamaica, you know, for players to national team games is often criticized. They had a kind of disastrous, uh, a couple disastrous actually kind of, um, friendly attempts during the pre-vaccine era of the pandemic. Oh, uh, Saudi Arabia and Japan, they like tried to get teams there and then players were catching COVID or got COVID in the camp or just simply like, were like, how am I supposed to fly coach 30 hours and play the next day? 
like stuff like that, right? So I, I guess like I feel like the Federation has they've focused on recruitment, but they haven't done a great job of making sure that the guys who get recruited want to come back. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe these players who are not coming in this window are truly uh, doing what's best for them personally. And if so, like I support and applaud that. But uh, from the outside looking in, it's it's easy to be a little skeptical, right? Makes a lot of sense. Very interesting. So one of those is Mikhail Antonio, who you mentioned already. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed that he uh, he did not have a standout performance in the one game he played last window, the one at, the one at home against Jamaica. Do you? Yeah, that's fair. Do you have any sense of why that is? Was it just because their midfield got overrun and he didn't? Uh, he couldn't really. Yeah, get connected? I think that's part of it. I mean, I think tactically, like that's kind of what you put the reason down. Uh, but I think also it's just it was a really it's a hard spot. You know, in Concacaf, like we've seen, like Onel Hernandez, the Cuban, he flew to Mexico City and then had to take a helicopter to Guatemala for Cuba's World Cup qualification opener, and it was the first time he'd ever played with Cuba, but they were playing, ooh, I'm testing myself here. Maybe St. Vincent and the Grenadines, they're definitely in that group. Um, I'm impressed you but even they were a playing stab a t- there. <laughs> they were playing a team that, that, you know, does not have the cohesiveness that Panama does. Panama is a team that went to the last World Cup. Like, they're missing a lot of those guys now, but they still, they, they played maybe four or five of those guys, and the guys who were not there had been playing regularly with each other. Um, through the first and second rounds of World Cup qualification in the case of Panama. Jamaica didn't have that. You know, in some ways, it's a blessing to have a bye and to be into this round of qualification, this final round. But in other ways, I think it's a curse. You know, like if Antonio, when he didn't get his passport in time for even the Gold Cup, so, you know, he didn't really have the opportunity. But I think, you know, he needs games. He needs games with these guys to understand what they're going to do. And they need to understand what to expect of him. You know, you can watch the guy on TV or or even train with the guy a couple times, you know, the, the red list, uh, the UK based guys didn't travel to Mexico. They were training in Kingston, but I think it's quite different to have a training session with, you know, a half your team, not even, mm-hmm. and sure you can do drills and you can do, you know, you can take shots and you can, you can try and build some chemistry, but it's not going to be the same as once the ball starts rolling, there's 11 of you on the field and you all have to understand what the other guys are doing. So I, I would say, you know, especially Antonio showing the willingness to keep coming. I think he's, I think he is committed to the project uh, and, and he's running out of time, right? He's in his thirties. If Jamaica makes a world cup that he participates in, it's probably going to be this one. You know, maybe he presses on and gets to 2026, especially with an expanded field, especially with the U S Mexico and Canada likely automatically qualifying as hosts. So maybe there's some hope for him to make a world cup there, but I think like the desire is to make this one mm-hmm. and you know, he has to he has to lock in quickly, but I would say it was a pretty difficult spot for him to come into. I think tactically, yeah, Panama's defense is is, is pretty solid and, and I don't think Jamaica was able to get any control of the ball in midfield I to lost move you, John. the ball to Oh. Am I still here? Hello? Okay. Can you hear can you hear me? Yep. Oh yeah. I was just saying Antonio, I mean I think like you said, tactically the reason is you know that that difficulty in midfield and the fact that he wasn't seeing the ball where he wanted to see it panama's defense is, is solid and can keep guys in check uh, and i think they, they did that well you know kamar roof is another player who was in a similar situation uh, his first game with jamaica the, he plays with rangers has several goals already this season in the scottish premier league but you know if those guys can't get the ball in dangerous spaces they're not going to be able to find the back of the net so i think that with time those guys will probably be able to make their presence known uh, but they definitely 
will they'll be also be well served by having a game under their belt but i think it's still really early i mean i think the u.s can take advantage of that as well i'm not sure how much chemistry uh, there will be in this Jamaica team if if those are the players as we expect that that get the start. Yeah. Well, let me ask. So, so Scotty in the Discord uh, posts a, a screenshot of Theodore Whitmore's career, and he's it looks like he's been basically a Jamaica uh, interim or assistant coach or U twenty coach since two thousand seven. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, and that's what I you know like I don't think it's an accident that when you look at when Jamaica sort of broke through and had its biggest success, uh, the 2015 Copa America, they played in as a guest team, then went to Gold Cup and made the final. Yeah. Uh, they were led by Winifred Schaefer, the German-based coach, with Jamaican assistants who know, you know the, 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 the local landscape and know some of these players that you can recruit, right? Schaefer didn't speak great English. Folks, he speaks English, but it's, you know, it's tough. Uh, but despite that, I think he was able to connect with the team and bring it forward in a way that, that local base managers haven't. But again, we're talking about, you know, the JFF, if they want to compete at this level, if they want to be going to the World Cup, I think they need to make investment. They need to have the, the uh, you know, the resources there. And I think doesn't even have to be a foreign coach. You know, Miguel Cauley is still Winifred Schaefer's assistant in the Middle East. Like, he's a guy who maybe could do something different. But there's also guys in Europe that are currently, you know, that are Jamaican, that are, you know, currently coaching in the lower divisions of the UK. I mean, I think there are options if the Federation wants to move on from Tapa Whitmore. It's just kind of on them if they want to do it. I, I would, you know, if they don't have a good window. You know, they even have Paul Hall. An assistant coach who, you know, he's, he's a QPR youth coach and he's come along as an assistant. You know, look, maybe you have to spend some money to convince him to leave QPR. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the, the situation is or what his desires are. But, I mean, I think there are other options there. But Tapa seems like just kind of the old reliable. And, and look, I mean, I think the old reliable will get you the same old reliable results. And Jamaica reliably falls short of qualifying for the World Cup, right? 1998, Whitmore was on that team, and since then it hasn't happened. So hmm. I, I think that they are limited with the coaching staff that they have. But, you know, look, I mean, they could totally prove me wrong. Maybe Antonio locks in, Roof locks in, the, these, these other new guys, you know, feel comfortable, they find that chemistry, and, and maybe they can, they can spring a few surprises this window. I, I just think, you know, I'm not surprised to see Jamaica struggling. I was surprised to see them struggle where they did, when they did. But, you know, I, I, I don't have them. I guess, like, they're a team that has potential, right, with the talent. You look at the names and you look at the, play, the you know, clubs these guys are playing at, it's like, oh, my gosh. But, yeah. you know, as U.S. fans have learned as well, like, just because you're playing at a great club doesn't mean it comes together when you have to put the national team together. So, I, Boy, I think isn't that the, the coaching truth? is a big, big issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the coaching is a big issue for Jamaica. I, I really do. Um, and, and I wonder if the Federation agrees and if they do agree, if they're willing to spend the money. But we'll see what the October window brings. I definitely think it could be his last if they don't get uh, success. A couple more quick questions on, on them. Uh, any word on it? I guess there were rumors that Nathan Redmond was being uh, recruited. The, the striker at Southampton. Yeah. Is he... Is, have you heard anything about that? 
or is that I am yeah. not sure about okay. that one. I know like there's a there's a long list of guys who like one of the most fascinating ones to me is Ivan Tony, who plays at Brentford, uh, who they've been in touch with, and he's like, nah, no, thank you. I might play for England. I mean, he I think he led the championship in scoring last year, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not I'm not an English soccer expert, so I could be totally wrong about that one. Fair enough. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, so he's he's not ready to come, um, but but they like have been in touch with him. Um, well, Redmond, yes, I'm pretty sure is on the list. There's another, like, there's a fullback that they're talking to. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot, but I think, um, it's getting a little late like, in the like, game. That, that's kind of the thing. That, that's kind of the thing is like, yeah, and, and, and like I, like we're talking about with, with Antonio, it's like just because, just because you bring that player in, I think we're at a level where you need, I mean, look, imagine if the U.S. got uh, a coup, you know, if some player comes in, I don't know. I mean, there's maybe no player that's kind of a direct correlation, but like, what if Araujo goes the other way, right? Like suddenly, I mean, that's not going to make or break your qualification campaign, right? You know, it's a nice piece. It's it's necessary, but, um, but, you know, I I don't think it's, it's, uh, it's something where you can just make your... It doesn't make your qualification campaign, you know, and, and, and I think that like you have to have these guys together for a while, have commitments, and, and it's great that, that Jamaica's bringing some of these guys in, but ultimately, unless they make it, you know, I, I've done several pieces on Curacao, right? And Curacao's not at the level of Jamaica. They didn't make this final round of qualification, but every time I talk to those guys, I'm like, why do you do this? Like, it's crazy, right? Like to fly across, especially with the pandemic, like to fly across the Atlantic at every single international break. You got to lay over in Miami. You got to do all these different things. It hurts your club career. You put yourself at risk of injury. And they're like, well, yeah, it's, it's my country, but also it's just fun. Like the atmosphere is fun. And I, I don't know that Jamaica has that yet. Maybe I believe- they do. I know that like Damian Lowe, the captain is like, they're always doing like dances and always have good music going. And like, I think that the players do what they can, but I think the, the JFF could probably be more, even more committed, like to make the experience better after the players get recruited. But we'll see more. We'll see more guys arrive for sure. And, and probably even during the cycle, it's just that doesn't get you over the line. Well, I'm sitting here coming up with all kinds of worst case scenarios where um, Antonio sure. scores a hat trick in Austin, and <laughs> which would be a best case scenario for Jamaica, I guess. Vince says Jamaica has a built-in cheat code if they just get it together. Shake my head. Jared says, thank God they can't get it together. And um, <laughs> one more question about them. Uh, are are they going to forgive me if you've already covered this but are they likely to sort of pack it in and force when they play the US force the US to possess through a low block to score goals or are they going to be a little more adventurous I I would generally expect them to be a little more adventurous but I think the situation that this game comes in you know, we, we've talked about where they're at in the table, where, where they're lacking personnel-wise, and the weapons they do have if they want to say, ah, we're going to pack in on the counter. You know, Bobby Reed is a player who can, can move quickly and transition on the wing. Antonio up top, you know, if those guys can link, uh, you, you could see some, And even the goals that they scored, uh, the goal they scored against Mexico, you know, it came out of nothing. It was just kind of a, a, a hopeful ball forward that then, there's a mistake at the back. Shamar Nicholson's able to take advantage. 
Didn't he kind so, of shoulder it into the goal? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a beautiful finish, but you know, those are the kind of goals that Jamaica can score, right? Like, I guess you would look at the roster and expect them to be playing beautiful football, but they're, they're not really. But I, I don't know that they're going to pack it in. But I could see it happening in this game. You know, they they weren't as adventurous in the Azteca as they were uh, in Costa Rica, which also the the game state dictated because I think they conceded in the fourth minute to Jimmy Marin in the in Costa Rica. So that's right. You know, some of that is down to what happens in the ninety minutes. But I think also when you look at Jamaica's situation, they might play more defensively than they played in those September games because um, <laughs> they got punched in the mouth, right? So I, I could see it, but. I also think that, you know, that the defense is missing some key pieces, um, but really everywhere is missing key pieces. I mean, there's a lot of guys, um, you know, who are who are missing, who are injured, who are out. So I think that they might be more likely to do that than they would in other games. But you're still going to see a team that that does have, you know, these attacking players, they want to attack. So I, I think t- traditionally you don't see Jamaica counter and and stay as compact as some of the central american teams they can do it and i think maybe they do um for some of this game but maybe not like a honduras or or uh or you know panama or someone okay well there i mean we could talk about jamaica for a while but let's let's move on to panama um if you don't mind drew they drew costa rica 0-0 at home then beat jamaica 3-0 in kingston as we mentioned mentioned and then drew mexico at home one one so they're sitting on five points which is the same as the u.s and canada uh tied for second they have away matches against el salvador and canada bracketing this home match against the u.s so i would think the u.s is really going to want to deny them three points what do you i mean i guess well sort of the opposite question i asked you about jamaica they they seem like they look pretty good largely because of that win in kingston um is that real? Are they really pretty good? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I don't know what to make of Panama. I thought they were going to be uh, somewhat poor, and they haven't been. You know, they they not only did they get that result in Kingston, but I think you know credit to them for grinding one out against Mexico. You know, it's at home, but Mexico looks pretty good. It's getting even better. Maybe we'll talk about that in November. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I think like they get. They get marks for that. And in coast, you know, the game is Costa Rica. They dropped the points at home. The fans weren't happy about it, but you're playing Kayla Navas, right? So, you know, I, I think they had a really good start to things, a surprisingly good start, especially because I think there are some deficiencies in this team that, that I'm sure we'll get into. But, you know, ultimately, I think Christensen kind of, he's played his cards wrong in other portions of qualification. Uh, and, and this time played his cards pretty much totally right. So, that allowed Panama to have the hot start that they had and, and set themselves up well to, to kind of try and repeat, to try and get back to the World Cup. 2018 was such a pivotal moment, such, a, such an exciting time for Panamanian soccer. You know, baseball is a bigger sport there, uh, or at least was when I've been, it seems like, and I'm typically there for soccer, so like it's, it's also a biased sample, but um, it seems like people are really into soccer now. Um, hmm. But I don't know, you know, it's, it's all anecdotal, but... You know, traditionally, it's been a baseball country, uh, you know, Mariano Rivera and the like. So the fact that you had like Blas Perez and Jaime Penedo and uh, 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 I'm, 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 well, I was trying to name players that are like Aníbal Guedoy, who's still on the team, and like I'm trying to name uh, players who are what, who are 
What now? players who are not on the team anymore? Like I had like oh, yeah. Hibal Godoy coming to my mind. He's still here, uh, which is cool. Which is which is good, you know. Quintero, the the winger, you know, he's still there. So you know, there are still some elements of that 2018 World Cup team, which I think is helpful because they understand just how difficult this can be, but also have the experience of like what it meant for Panama to make a World Cup. So I think their September start was hot, um, and and what they're doing right. Like getting more contributions than I think I expected them to get from attacking players. Hmm. They still have no goal scorers. To my mind, even though they put three past <laughs> past Jamaica, like you look at that game and the very first goal was scored by a center back who's injured. That was maybe a, one of their most important uh Andres Andrade. That was so an he he comes incredible up, he, goal. He picks he picks Ravel Morrison's pocket. He he starts to drive forward, no one stops him, and he's like, Well, all right. And he scores, right? And then from there, I think you see this kind of like boost of confidence, this cascade of, of goals kind of spilling over, and you start to see some of the other players uh, get, on the, get on the board, you know, Blackburn and Waterman, Waterman who's injured this window. So Panama, you know, not only are their forwards, I think, not up to standard in this confederation, but also they're, they're dealing with some injuries. Uh, when you look at Andrade, will not play. Uh, he's not in, uh, had an in, uh, injury with his Bundesliga club. Waterman, the forward, who's, you know, a, a significant absence, but not like an enormous one. And then Carrasquilla in the midfield. So I, I think at every line, they're missing important players, but, you know, still do have guys who, you know, as I mentioned, I think at every line, they also have World Cup experience and, you know, players who are informed with their clubs. So I, I think it's an interesting mix. And I think that's why, you know, maybe I'm struggling to get my arms around Panama because they had such a great start. I wasn't expecting it. And now you could see them going either way. I was gonna. I'm, I did not know Andrade was out for this window. He's that. I was gonna say that that goal. You know what? You, the one you described. I mean, that was a that was a bullet he hit in the bottom corner with his left foot. It'd be. I'd be jumping out of my couch if I saw an American center back score a goal like that. Pretty. Remarkable. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome, and I think he's a player who you know you need that new generation to come up. Like Felipe Valoy is not. He's, he's still playing, but he's not, he's not in the national team picture anymore. He, you know, you need to replace those guys. We know that. And we see, I think as we'll get to Costa Rica, like struggling through generational change, like Panama, something like the same. He's a guy who stepped up. They do get back at, at the center back spot, Harold Cummings, who missed the first uh, games. So I think like you get kind of one man exits, one man enters. So um, I think they'll be okay at center back depth, but um, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's a big miss. And like I said, I mean, they have a few absences at every line that I think are somewhat um, costly. So how did they set up? I mean, I, I know how they set up against Mexico, but did, what was their sort of idea in that game? Were they pretty cautious? Again, I guess I'm going to ask the same question about all three opponents. Like how, <laughs> no, I think be, that they, 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 they were, like I said, I mean, I think that win against, against Jamaica, I really feel like, you know, they had a, a disappointing start against Costa Rica. And I think as soon as Andrade scores that goal against Jamaica, and, and keep in mind also, it's an empty office, you know, with COVID regulations, Jamaica, uh, at that time, they were trying to avoid getting on the UK's red list, which they did successfully do. Um, and, and look, I guess that's somewhat cynical. I mean, also trying to like avoid the spread of COVID-19 and like keep cases down, which I think we can all applaud. But um, <laughs> no, yeah. no fans, which is a bummer for, for us watching on TV and everything um, and, and from a sporting perspective. So like as soon as that goal goes, I think it's just like, hey, we got this. They get the win and now they're playing a little bit with house money because you're playing Mexico at home. 
yeah, you should win your home games, but at the same time, it's Mexico. Like, no one's expecting that much. So I, I found them to be a little more adventurous than I was expecting. I think one of the key players, and against Mexico, they also had to deal with some adversity because Carrasquilla goes down minute like five or something. Like, he goes down so early. And I think that's where Christensen learns his lesson in a very, very harsh way that he basically tried to put the same 11 on the field all three times. Hmm. And I don't think that's possible. I just don't think you can do that. You know, um, maybe if like guys aren't coming and playing club games or something, but I, I, I don't think you can make that work. And so I think that we're going to see him get more adventurous with this lineup selection in this window, partly because of necessity, but also, um, you know, because I think they learned their lesson that, that you need to change. You need to keep guys fresh or else sometimes you risk injuries that now keep players out of this window. Right. So, in that Mexico game, I thought they were they were they were courageous in a way to to kind of go a little bit more after the game than I expected. Barcenas is a player who, as the playmaker, um, you know, the game hasn't always flowed through him. He, he is the ten, he is the playmaker, although he can also flow wide. But uh, he hasn't always put a stamp on the game. He hasn't always been able to show or sustain some of the flashes of brilliance he's had even back in the day when he was playing like Champions League so, or uh, CONCACAF League. Hmm. So he plays, in the, me, the he same, plays right? in the second division and <laughs> they're all the same. He, he plays in the second he division in Spain, now. right? Yeah. 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 To me, to me, UEFA Champions League and CONCACAF League are the same, uh, you know, same, same beauty. Only one had a vice president of a country playing in it in the last month. I'll say that. So, oh man, we got to talk, yeah. talk about that. <laughs> we can get there. Okay. We can get there. Um, yeah, so, so, but Barcenas, I think, when he was in the CONCACAF League, now, as you mentioned, playing in the second division in Spain, like, we saw some of these flashes, but he hadn't really sustained them, and then he had a fantastic game in Kingston, had a really good game against Mexico, so I think he's a guy where you're looking and you say, ooh, you know, maybe Panama, maybe John Arnold is right for once, and Panama doesn't have forwards that they can finish moves off, but Barcenas is going to lay them on a plate, and they're going to be so good that, you know, it doesn't even matter if it's Blackburn up there. So, okay, let's let's move on to Costa Rica. They um they drew Panama, of course, like we mentioned, zero zero in Panama, and then they lost at home to Mexico one to zero, and then they drew Jamaica one to one. So, you know, of all these teams, at least on paper, they look like the weakest. It, well, at least the least threatening of the three. Maybe not the weakest. What's your What's your position on this? On Costa Rica? Yeah, they don't look great. <laughs> I, it's, it's odd because we're so used to Costa Rica being the quote-unquote third team in CONCACAF, although for a minute they're, they're the second team in CONCACAF, right? Um, we don't need to get too deep into that <laughs> on, a, uh, on a U.S. focused podcast. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they kind of... For a while, they were flying the flag and holding the mantle for the region, and obviously we all remember Brazil, and, and unfortunately, I think Costa Rica remembers Brazil a little too much. Hmm. When you look at this roster, when you look at this team, they probably are the poster boys for generational change, but there's a lot of deference being given by Luis Fernando Suarez, a new manager, to these you know, golden generation members. Brian Ruiz... I like him a lot as a guy. I like him a lot as a player. I don't know that you can start him in World Cup qualification, and that seems to be the plan. You know, Celso Borges, I think he maybe has more to offer than Ruiz, but he's 33 and hasn't been playing 
regularly at a high level in quite some time. Mm. The back line is a little too familiar, I think. You know, like it, it, it's sometimes Francisco Calvo, Duarte together. Sometimes it's other familiar faces. You know, I guess <laughs> in, in the first game against Panama, uh, you know, they, they, they had a, a little bit of, you know, some of the, the, the fresh faces were in there. One of them being Manfred Ugalde, this really promising 19-year-old forward who plays over at FC Twente. He's in the Manchester City system. I think he's going to be great. He's not on this roster because he's beefing with the coach. Hmm. And then a couple days later, Giancarlo Gonzalez from that World Cup team, who we all know from you know, the World Cup team, but also playing in MLS, he's like, yeah, you know what? No, thank you. Like, I'm also out. Interesting. And that to me is not a great sign. Uh, definitely speaks to some sort of division, some sort of frustration. Um, so anyway, the point I was making is that in that Panama game, I think they played some young players. You know, they played Manfred Galde, Ariel Lasseter, Randall Leal, like all those guys started. Your center back pairing was still Duarte Calvo, but like it didn't go great. They really depended on, on Navas. And then all of a sudden, you sort of see the shift to some of the veterans, some of the old guys, uh, even for that game against Mexico, which they also, you know, fall up short, come up short in. So, you know, ultimately, I think that it's a Costa Rica team that's, that, that needs fresh faces, but it seems like Suarez doesn't want to bring those fresh, fresh faces in, uh, which is puzzling and concerning, I think, for Costa Rica. So I, I would say you read bells of, like, them being sort of the weakest team in this one. I mean, Jamaica's not looking great either, but I think Costa Rica's in a very rough moment, very bad time. And if they don't get things figured out quickly, they're not going to go back to the World Cup. Like, that streak is going to end. I I think, (laughs) you know, some some of you may have gotten into Twitter fights before with with Eddie, CRC Football, on on Twitter, uh, who's never been shy about you know who he supports or how he supports them. Right. Um, <laughs> he's a, I, I think he's a good guy at heart, but like I said, you know, I think he enjoys trolling U.S. supporters, and 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 that's fine. Uh, but he he posted a tweet like last month that, that I totally agree with, and he was like, "Hey, the sooner we we accept that we're not going to make the World Cup, like the better we're gonna gonna be." And, and I think like huh. that's harsh, and that's like good advice for the supporters, but like for the coaching staff and the federation, I think they have to have alarm bells ringing, and it doesn't feel like they do. So. I think it's a very weird time for Costa Rica right now. And you have a lot of these like important voices in their soccer, like Brian Ruiz, like Celso Borges, uh, kind of still hanging around. I'm not saying they need to retire. I just think that it's, a, it's, a, it's troubling when you see them still having a big of a role as they have. I mean, now, Ruiz is 36. And he's an old man. Yeah, and, and I actually got to chat. I, I did an interview with him a couple months ago, and I was like, "Hey, like, what's the plan?" And he's like, "I'm gonna try. I'm gonna get Costa Rica to Qatar, and then I'm gonna retire in, in, in the in the World Cup." Cool. Like, I hope that works out for him. I really do. I think he's been a, a an underrated player in Concacaf for a long time. Like, I, I always wish that he would have come to MLS, uh, just because I thought it would have been a great fit when he was kind of moving back over. He was in Brazil for a while, and that didn't work out. Like, I, I wanted him to be in MLS at that time, just to be able to watch him more often in my own time zones. Like. And, and enjoy his game but it, it's not it's not working for him anymore it's just not he's not the same player and 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 i think like the fact that he's still getting starts is a big concern and it, now all that said go ahead, go ahead they still have Kaylor navas at the back yeah right like that's kind of the great equalizer is that they have 
the best goalkeeper in the world, maybe. Like, I mean, maybe not anymore, but like, he's still up there. He's absolutely still up there. He's absolutely still up there. So, you know, it, it, it definitely is. Like I said, you know, that game against Panama, like, I think Panama wins 2 0, 3 0 if it's even a good goalkeeper. But it's Kaler, and so it's 0 0. So I think, like, you do have this sort of. You have a lot of problems in the Costa Rica squad. You have a lot of problems in the Costa Rica setup, it seems to me, already, even though squad has only arrived this summer. When you have multiple players, good players beefing with the coach, I don't think that's good. But there's that sort of leveler at the back. Well, so speaking of Navas, Navas, I've always, I've, I always wonder this about like huge players like that. Have you, have you, have you like interviewed him in the locker room or, or seen him around like in person much? Not too much, unfortunately. I've, I've like a mixed zone chat, okay. but nothing, nothing. I just remember, if you'll indulge me for a second, I just remember when I went to the Brazil U.S. friendly, I saw, uh, I saw Neymar walking through the through the um concourse with like his entourage you know and yeah. it was like he had he had like his own energy you know like his own orbit like it was almost like a physical thing and um and it, it was it really struck me yeah so it, it's funny because i think there's two things one is he's a goalkeeper so he already kind of is the outsider right sticking out from the crowd because he's not the field player with the even a gravitational pull on the field like Neymar has, like Messi has, or like or like Maradona had, right? But you know, he is immensely popular. He's a huge figure. There's a, there's a website that's actually pretty well done that's like covers Central American soccer and they're like headers across the top are like World Cup, you know, European soccer and Kalo Navas. Like, he's like a section header for himself, and everything else is like a tournament, huh. and then there's Kaler, right? So he is like, he's huge. He's enormous. Like, he, he has huge interest. He's also been, modest might be the wrong word, but I, I don't, I mean, he's like an extremely religious guy from, you know, at least outwardly. I don't, I, I don't know his heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But like, you know, like that's an important part for him. There was a movie like that he like helped, you know, he participated in that, that like spoke about how he's this man of faith and like, you know, finds this to be very important. And I think like he's just this kind of guy who, you know, look like, yeah, of course, I think he sometimes takes advantage of and enjoys the fame. But I think as a goalkeeper, it's a little bit different. But you also even see in the fact that like, what does he show up for? Like, he's never going to play a gold cup. He's never going to play some garbage friendly but he's going to be a World Cup qualification because it's important, right? And he knows that and he, he understands, like, this is my kind of responsibility as the best player maybe ever to come out of Costa Rica, come out of Central America. So I, I got to show up to this. So uh, I, I do think there's like an aura, an aura, aura, whatever that word is. Like, that does exist around Kaler. Okay. Um, but like, because he's a goalkeeper, I think he's already in this like special category and it's easy to forget about him, like in some ways when you're talking about him. You know, that's what, that's what I said. Like, you know, look, this Costa Rica team seems to be, like, in total crisis. Like, it seems to be falling apart. And yet, right there he is at the back. It's going to be tough to beat him. It, it just will. Who's his closest competition as greatest player to ever come out of CONCACAF? Hugo, Hugo Sanchez, maybe? Yeah, out of CONCACAF, yeah. Hugo Sanchez and Rafa Marquez, I think, are the two. I mean, when you look at what they, what they earned in, in Europe, I think it's quite, it's, it's, a, it's as impressive as, as what Kaler's done. I mean, the thing is, like, <laughs> I don't want to get 
super like Kaler centric, although I guess we've already talked about him for a while, so why not? But like the thing is that like multiple teams keep trying to replace him, which makes no sense. It makes no sense when from the outside, and so there is this like, well, is something like do we not know something, or is it just that he's not a big name? I, I do feel like if Kaler Navas was, you know, Kevin Navarro, I don't know, that's not a name, but like if he was some English national team player, I think people would just be like, oh yeah, best of all time. Like just, oh yeah, best. Yeah. But like since he's Costa Rican, I do think there is a little stigma and I'm not a big fan of those arguments. You know, I think that like sometimes it's very easy to be like, oh, Americans have a stigma against us in Europe. Ah, yeah, maybe, but like, I, I don't know that it's as strong as people want it to be. I think it's a kind of convenient excuse a lot of times, but I do think that if, if Kaylor Navas had come from from even Spain instead of Costa Rica or from Italy or from England, then people would be putting him... I, I, don't, I don't think that Real Madrid would be trying to replace him. I don't think PSG would be trying to replace him. Like, I think he would just be, ah, yeah, we've got, we're set because Kaylor's great. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, okay, so a couple more questions about Costa Rica. Are they, uh, are they playing the, the sort of the packet in 5-4-1 of old? Same question I asked about the other two <laughs> teams. Yeah, they are now. They are now. I mean, you look at this roster and like, like I said, like some of the, the options that, that Suarez left at home, even some of the players who would have uh, come in, you know, Ugalde said he's not coming in until Suarez is out. So really, there's that. Goodness. Yeah. What's the beef? Do you know? I mean, that was, a, so, so after the, I think that first game against uh, Panama, Suarez kind of heavily criticized him in the press, hmm. said he wasn't like at the level and, and it wasn't ready. And, and uh, it, it he felt it was like extremely harsh criticism, and he kind of said that he had never heard a manager speak a player like that in public, and just felt like it was disrespectful, and that was that was that. Uh, I think there's almost certainly more to the story, but you know, on the one hand, it's like it's not great, but on the other, I you know, look, if Costa Rica doesn't make the World Cup, which I'm saying they might not, and that'll end in March, right? So, or if they make the playoff June, so. Um, it's possible that like Manfred Ugalde at age 20 is back with the Costa Rica national team. So it's a massive story. I think it's really interesting. Uh, he put out like a letter kind of saying that and, and laying out his reasons. And, and, but yeah, it was quite clear. You know, a lot of times I think players are sort of opaque about, ah, uh, yeah, you know, like I, you know, like Carlos Vela, he never really was like, this is why right. I'm not playing for Mexico. It was always kind of like, ah, uh, yeah, the, you know, the Federation knows. And if this change, you know, things change, maybe I'll come. And Ugalde was just like, Hey, if Suarez is gone, I'm back. You know, basically, like that's what he's got to respect so, it. Fair enough. Got to respect it. Yeah. Yeah. No. I and 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 like truly, I don't want to make this like a the TikTok generation thing, but like I do think that like maybe it's a generational change where it's like players are just like, why would I keep lying about this when everyone knows or everyone's going to talk about it anyway? So uh, I thought that was interesting. But but looking at the tactics, like I, I do think there are players that could have helped Costa Rica that aren't in this team. Uh, and I think that when you look at the roster that got called, it's pretty clear that this is a team that, that Swat is. And look, Swat is himself. Like, when you hire him, you know, you know what you're getting. When he, when he got Honduras to the World Cup, it wasn't like they were playing free-flowing, attacking, beautiful football. Right. Um, this, is a, this is a guy who's used to, to, to being defensive, to thinking about, you know, keeping the lines tight, keeping the midfield and the defenders playing together. Um, not leaving space between those lines, winning the ball back, and, and then potentially turning to the attacking phase. But I think that when you look at, at what they have personnel-wise, uh, yeah, I, I don't see a Costa Rica team that's going to look to utilize their, 
their attacking talent. I mean, look, like Randall Leal. Yeah, I was just going to mention him. Player. He is a good player. Yeah. Jimmy Marin, really good player, right? I mean, it's not that. And, and Hoa Campbell, like, also a really good player. Like, I guess that's the thing is if you, you could see a situation, you can't, you can't do it with Ruiz, who is the quote unquote 10. Like, you could see a situation where Costa Rica comes out playing, like, even 3 5 2 or like a 4 2 3 1 with, like a, with a nice playmaker. Um, and has Jimmy Marin on one wing and Randall Leal or, or put Leal as the, as the, as a playmaker. Like he can fill that role and then have Campbell as the, as the nine. And like, it's a, it's a good attack. And, and I'm not saying they won't like sort of quote unquote structure it like that. It's just that it feels like the reins are on and it feels like there, there's not that desire to, to play that kind of football. And that's, that's fine. It's a manager's right. And I don't know that Suarez is necessarily even making the wrong calculus where he says like, ah, if I played like that, like maybe I wouldn't get as many points. I, I don't know. I tend to think he probably is wrong, but I think when you hire him, you know what you're getting, and uh, and Costa Rica's getting what they what they asked for in a lot of ways with with Suarez. Still early in his era, but I haven't seen anything that makes me think they're gonna flip a switch. You know, yeah. Gustavo Matosas was was uh, <laughs> it seems like a dude who was involved in a, in too many things. Uh, you know, there's there's some allegations out there of, of bad things, but. He did have Costa Rica briefly playing exciting attacking football. And I think like that, that could be the way forward for the next Costa Rica manager. Again, like it's unfair of me to already be saying like Suarez is out the door. It's entirely possible that he gets them back to the World Cup, that they make it in Qatar, that Brian Ruiz does have the, st- the song swan he's looking for, that Celso Borges does, that Keylor Navas keeps them in games, that they have a decent even group phase at the World Cup. I just think it's very difficult to see, especially after the September results. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if we're talking about a change here in the next month or, or in January when the games resume. Okay. Well, put, put your U.S. fan cap on for a second and tell me how many points you think Berhalter should get from this win. You know, listen, Adam, you, you're killing me here, man, because I, you did this last time, and I th- it's a totally fair question. <laughs> totally fair question. And what did I say? Do you remember? I think you said, did you say seven or... I said seven to nine. Seven I said to seven nine. to nine. I was like, there's no reason that you couldn't think seven to nine. And then like, and then, and then all like that after the second game, I was just like, gosh, I did say that. Well, I mean, it very easily <laughs> could said, have been one point or two. Sorry, I know. Two points, sorry, I, two points. I know. I know. I, I stand by it because I think like we saw, I hope that, and, I'm, and, and the fact that you've asked me back and that people are, are, are enjoying on the discord and like everything, like, I appreciate that people are like, ah, oh, yeah, John, John does have some perspective and something to offer. But like, I think what we did see was that the, some of the things that we did talk about came true, right? Like El Salvador did pose some difficulties with some of their attack and the, the weight of the home crowd did weigh on the U.S. national team. You know, some of the potential issues that, that we mentioned, even though I said, I think the U.S. is going to be able to overcome them. They did show up, and maybe were even more strong than, than I gave them credit for, right? So all that to say, hopefully people don't think I'm a joke, subscribe to the newsletter. But uh, when I look at this series of games, I again think the U.S. has a pretty good opportunity here because I think it's a very weak Jamaica. I think that Panama is going to pose some problems, but ultimately I think has some kind of terminal deficiencies. And then Costa Rica, like we're talking about, I think is a, is a big question mark. I like the U.S. to get six out of this window, and I, and I think maybe even seven. I think both the home games are totally winnable. And Panama, you can get a draw there. We didn't get into the atmosphere. I've been there for a World Cup qualifier. Tough place to play, strictly humid. 
their field is bad. They've tried to redo it and they're still not happy with how it turned out. They like spent most of the pandemic sort of like redoing the field and it's still not great. What's the holdup? So that'll be like, no, 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 they, they, it's finished. It's just bad. I think that like the thing is, it's really a tough play. I mean, like I was there for, I've been there maybe two weeks total and it's like, it's extremely humid. It rains so much. But I think it's tough to just keep grass not doing crazy things. I don't know. Okay. Not, not my area, but, uh, but yeah, like, so like Christensen was frustrated, was really frustrated and he's the home coach, right? So it's not like he, it's not like he has much motivation to be like crashing on the grounds if it's, uh, right. you know, it's not an excuse for him, right? He's his quote unquote home, home field. So I think that, you know, like it's, it is a tough place to play. So I, I don't know that you're looking at nine points this window, especially when you take into account how many important players are injured for the U.S. and how big guys like, you know, look, I, I get to cover Pepe basically day in, day out with FC Dallas here uh, in DFW mm. where I live and, and doing work at Striker Texas, which is a great treat. I like the kid. I wasn't surprised to see what he did against Honduras. At the same time, like, I think it's a bit of a dice roll that you have him and Zardes and no one else as, as a nines, right? Like, I mean, yeah, like Hoppy can do it and, and uh, Tim Weah can do it if you need him to, but I, I was surprised that there wasn't more kind of depth there. And then you look at like Brooks's injury, um, you know, like Zimmerman, I think is a capable call up. Uh, I think it's good that they included him, but I guess there's a lot of players who I look at and say, they're going to need to have really good games uh, or, or they're going to have to step up to the occasion because they are being given a lot of responsibility by Burhalter. So I think when you take all those factors into account, I'm going to go six with this window, seven on the table. Anything less than that, I think, is is a failure. I mean, I really do. Um, okay. You got to win your games at home and draw on the road, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, we talk about all the question marks with these other teams. I think there's still a big question mark with the U.S. Like, is the U.S. Yeah. actually good at playing together? <laughs> and that's a question mark. Let me, yeah. let, let me hit. Well, let me hit you with some rapid fire questions, real quick. How many goal? How right. many goals by Pepe this window? Two. Awesome. I love that answer. Uh, Panama match moved to 5 p.m. local. Any reason why? TV. I think that's all TV. TV. Okay. Somebody says, Brendan says, not my area. John, I'm pretty sure you just proved you know more about Panama's grass than anyone in America. <laughs> uh, that's true. That's not, Bermuda grass, though, I'm not there. There's a lot of people who know more about Bermuda grass than I do. <laughs> okay. And then... Uh, and they're a CONCACAF team. I can tell you about them. <laughs> we, need, we need one more prediction. Uh, most likely vice president to play in the Ocho. <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, I'm trying to, I mean, I don't know who the vice president of Jamaica is, um, but you're going to go with that, 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 that feels, that feels like the most likely. So yeah, that was wild, man. So let's talk about that. That's a nice segue. Let's talk about that before I let you go. What's the latest on the Ronnie Brunswick investigation? Is that the right pronunciation of his name? Brunswick? Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. And in fact, it's actually been a bit of a struggle. Like I'm trying to, this will surprise no one. I'm trying to get an interview with him. Um, and nice. I, I have his people's numbers and I have his, his uh, contacts and everything. And, and people are not really getting back to me. But also, like most people don't speak English. I, I'm bilingual English Spanish, but I don't have any Dutch. And even in Suriname, like the Dutch is not necessarily, there's like a local patois there that's like kind of the dominant. So um hopefully we get more on getting CONCACAF about that story specifically i think CONCACAF and wisely so like i totally understand like what they, how they feel about it because it makes your competition look like it's a circus 
Um, I think they're done. You know, the ban was for three years for Earl VP Ronnie um, to be involved in any sort of competition, whether as a player, owner, manager, whatever. Uh, Olympia booted, his team booted, and uh, it, it means that Wastatoya, the Guatemalan team, uh, gets into the CONCAP Champions League in 2022 because they would have played, pro- uh, I mean, they would have played Olympia in the next round, and Olympia, I think, probably would have taken care of them. But Wastatoya is through. So I, what I don't, there, there's all these like hilarious knock on repercussions. Like, I wonder which MLS team is going to end up like playing Wastatoya because of Ronnie playing in the CONCACAF League. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I don't understand is like, maybe I'm just a dumb person, but why would he be giving money to the in the out in the Olympia locker room? I mean, that was yeah, the, that was the so video that went around. So here's the story. You can and you can read this on Getting Concaft as well. But I, I know you're busy, guys. I'm You'll sorry. You'll get to it. I'm so- I know. I know it's on your to read list. <laughs> the so this guy first of all has a habit of giving out cash. It's sort of like a, a trademark. In fact, in one point in 2018. He got up in a helicopter and just dumped cash over a village that like had had a regional disaster. And that was like his response. So handing out cash, I think to this guy, I I truly think he didn't understand the implication, Mm -hmm. right? Now the Olympia players, I think they do. But if you have the vice president of a country come into your locker room and be like, hey, shirt swap. And you're like, yeah, sure. You're not going to be like, no. And you're like, okay, come on in, man. And then if he just starts handing out cash, I think you're just like, uh, okay. Like, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think they did the wrong thing. Like, they should have said like, hey, man, no, no, no. But like, I kind of get how things spiral. The, the quote-unquote official line and what the Olympia players have said is that they broke down, their bus broke down on the way from the airport to the hotel. And they were stuck in Suriname in kind of the middle of nowhere for an hour, hour and a half at like 2 a.m. as they were trying to travel to the hotel to get ready for this game. And that he, the, the, the vice president of Suriname, president of this club, owner of this club, came to kind of be like, hey, hey, I'm sorry for the trouble. Like, almost like, hey, here's a per diem for you as like sort of like, you know, dealing with this. I, see. I think that's sort of like a little bit, you know, I think that's kind of a back, uh, working backwards, right? Like, why did we get this money? Oh, yeah, we did break down. Like he sort of said... Like, I, I, I don't know that I totally buy that as the it's reason. It's plausible, though, right? And then they, that, that's the thing is, like, I think, like, it's wrong. It looks bad, especially in a region, I mean, Central America, but also CONCACAF, where, like, you've had match manipulation scandals plague you in the past. But, like, Olympia was going to smash Inter, Monde, Tepeque, whatever, um, the Surinamese team, no matter what happened. And I, I don't think that, you know, I guess you could say like, oh, well, it was, it, you know, what if he put a million dollars on the final result or something like that? It's totally possible that there was manipulation. I don't think there was, having watched the game. Also, if you're going to throw a match, why would you play in it? Right. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It just doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Like, you know, if you wanted it to fly under the radar, why would you do, then do the thing that like caused viral tweets and stuff? So I, I, I don't think there's anything untoward there. I just don't think that anyone really was thinking in the moment of how it looks and, and the repercussions thereafter. So, yeah, CONCACAF, man. I, like I said, I mean, the Confederation, I heard from several sources that, I mean, understandably, they were pretty furious. I mean, first of all, they were mad when the guy calls his own number and enters the game as a 60-year-old. But also, then after the game, it's like, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? But, yeah, yeah, 
all's like I said, maybe all's well that ends well. Hopefully we can uh we can get a little something on getting CONCACAF kind of following the story, but uh if not, the screenshots will live forever. Yeah, well, prayers up from the scuffed universe that you get that interview with Ronnie, because that would be <laughs> sweet. Um any closing thoughts? You've I've kept you I've kept you over time for sure. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I guess my closing thought will just be uh, a plug. You know, I'll have uh, yeah, yeah. on the yeah. free edition of Getting CONCACAF, I'll, uh, I'll have the uh, five kind of storylines I'm looking forward to or five things we'll learn. You know, you, you've read content before. You're familiar with this. But just kind of some thoughts about, uh, about the general region, um, what people are looking at, what I'm looking at, and, and what I think will be, will be fascinating to watch. And the paid edition, I'm going to do a game-by-game preview, uh, just each game and just some quick thoughts on each of them I did. A roster breakdown uh, yesterday of every team, uh, all eight teams that are still in the octagonal, plus the Conca catch-up, which runs every week in the uh, p- the paid edition of Getting Conca Calf. That kind of uh, looks at stories like like the one in Suriname, but also less crazy stories. You know, just stuff happening around the region. Like for instance, Curacao senior national team is involved uh, in a in a friendly uh, series this week. Uh, Cuba and Nicaragua are actually in action, so you know I kind of try and keep up on stuff like that. And some actually really shitty and sad stories uh, from the Caribbean this week as well. Uh, Haiti Federation rape investigation, Trinidad and Tobago, um, money mismanagement and question marks there, and also a uh, former president of St. Kitts and Nevis Football Association dying suddenly. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> there's, there are difficult moments in the region for sure. Uh, I try to spotlight the fun and the wild and the wacky and also get into the tactics, but, but you know, also kind of talk about the serious stuff as well. So. Uh, it's a pretty sweeping review of the CONCACAF region, uh, the CONCACAF catch-up, uh, which again is available to paying subscribers. It's five subscribers. It's five bucks a month, 50 bucks for the year. I do put that out every single Monday, uh, plus a couple bonus uh, paid editions. Uh, like I said, this week you can look out for that. So it's less than a buck per paid newsletter. So uh, I, I think it's worth it. Uh, if you agree, I'd love to have you as a subscriber. If you disagree, that's fine. Just get on the free list and, uh, and we'll chat there. So uh yeah sounds like a good deal that's my good uh, deal to me that's my plug that's a great plug yeah so i highly i highly recommend the newsletter too i know a lot of people who listen to this podcast do subscribe at least to the free edition but uh make a point to check that out everybody uh thank you john thank you very much hey my pleasure glad we could do this like i said glad after my extremely optimistic for the u.s prediction that you guys still had me back and looking forward to chatting with the scuff community in the future on Twitter, on the newsletter, and uh, on the pod if, uh, if you guys have me back. But uh, until then, like it was a pleasure, and take care, guys. Anytime. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you.